0: live from Treaty 1 territory in the heartland of the Métis Nation, the place where the great waterways meet and the heart of Turtle Island. I'm excited to host the first New Blanche Toronto podcast, where we find ourselves in the territory of Toronto, under the treaty of a dish with one spoon, and is home to some of the most diverse population in Canada. I am your host and artistic director, Julie Nagum, and this is our second season of Belonging to Place. <laughs> I am jacked for episode two, Shove It which uses the knowledge of skateboarding to invigorate practices of language, self-determination, and culture. This episode reflects on the importance of mentorship to inspire new generations of skateboarders armed with their own confidence to build skills in riding and self-worth. Today, we're speaking with skaters Rosie Archie, Joe Buffalo, Real Stevenson-Burke, Marco Aglugliorte, and language keeper Zippy Nosisak. Board culture is something that is close to my heart. It doesn't seem so long ago that I started to learn how to snowboard behind a sled in the middle of the prairies or recounting the hours spent in a parking lot trying to balance on a skateboard to rip by with no effort to master a kickflip or a pop-up. I would take out all my stress, all my political frustrations because there was no better feeling than riding. I felt so free and unhinged from all the teenage angst, racial issues, gender dynamics, and conservatism. Each mountain, parking lot, peak, valley, ditch, or gravel pit gave me a sense of my relationship to the land and created a strong connection to place. And this is still the case. I knew the sections of land by riding on a sled to find that perfect drift of snow to hit at a high speed, testing my skills and the land's ability to absorb me, finding how nothing has really changed except for my age. First off, we speak to Nui Blanche artist Marco Gugliarte, who reflects on his 360 immersive screen-based video that will premiere at the Venice finale with five Canadian circumpolar artists in Arctic XR and will be a featured commission in Toronto at the Harbourfront.
1: One of the things that's been interesting to me in recent years is how many Indigenous skateboarders are coming forward and expressing their culture as part of their skateboarding or connecting as Indigenous people in skateboarding communities. And I thought that it would be fun to take that and bring it to an Indigenous community like Yellowknife and to hold a skateboarding session in the landscape. Just with the timing of the project, it so happened that the ice road was still open outside of Yellowknife. With the Extending Indigenous Realities 360 video capture, I was really excited to connect Indigenous skateboarding with Indigenous culture and think about ways where the similarities are and how those things could be kind of brought out a bit. So we had a skateboard session on the ice road between the town of Yukon and the local First Nation. And we then had a boil up of some tea in the woods near Yellowknife. And I also did a spray painting session making a text-based piece of a nut on some skateboards. I think it was like just having that indigenous connection of the landscape near the indigenous community I, I guess maybe to contrast from an urban landscape where you more typically see skateboarding. So, what we did is we bought 10 sheets of plywood and got a skateboard obstacle and brought it out on the ice and had a session with myself, professional skateboarder Joe Buffalo, and uh, two local skateboarders, Ryel and Joel. I thought it was really important to make that indigenous connection to landscape and filming out on the ice road. It was like a beautiful sunny day and we had wonderful weather. It was like just cold enough so that when we were skating on the plywood, our shoes weren't getting the plywood wet, but not so cold that it was uncomfortable or something like that. And the temperature was actually really important for the dog team, which we had as part of the production. So later in the afternoon, we had a dog team arrive while we were still skating. And we took a break from the skateboarding and like went and like spent some time like visiting the dogs. And uh, Joe Buffalo went for a fun ride with the dog team, and so did Julie as the artistic director. And that was a lot of fun to see, the two of them enjoying the dog team ride. After that, we reconfigured the plywood on the ice road so that we used the snow banks as a skate bank with one of the sheets uh, up on uh, about a 45 degree angle and uh, some of the sheets in there for a run in. And for me, what was one of the most exciting shots about the session was that we got some wonderful drone footage from high up above. And what that brought into the video was the to see the ice road in like this really deep dark blue uh, with the kind of white cracks going through all over the ice and getting like a real sense of scale in terms of the road and the ice lake that was around us. That part of the video production is something that I'm really happy that we captured because when we got there the ice looked amazing but where we were shooting more or less at eye level it was really hard to think like that would be as rich of a component as it became. It was really exciting to work in a different medium for me. I think the the thing that I I was most excited about with the film production was working with a team of people and the two days that we were shooting, one of the funnest aspects of it was like coming up with a treatment, communicating it to the, you know, like over a dozen people that were supporting the shoot and all heading out in like a series of of vehicles together to go and, and shoot the production. And in terms of like a painterliness, I, I often find like the kind of like way that you can work inside of a studio by yourself. Like there's a lot of false starts and then the timeline isn't necessarily as clear as like there's a particular shoot day. So I was really excited to have to be working in a completely different kind of timeline rather than trying to figure out on my own in the studio, like what exactly my work schedule is like, but to actually have like... Um, set deadlines and to work with a team and to kind of like sort things out ahead of the shot and then just go. And there's so much pre-production work that is done beforehand, but it's really exciting when the shoot starts and everything is already lined up and then it is what it is. The other aspect of the shoot, which is actually more in line with painting was that part of what brought me to this project was that I was spray painting uh, skateboards uh, with a nut using really kind of subtle and colorful gradients between the boards and the text uh, that i was using letter stencils for and i had such a great time i made two large uh, wall-based installations of 20 skateboards each using into words and, and thinking about the process of learning and painting and and using color And all those things were really fun. And also just like to focus on working with color and all these different kind of color relationships through a specific kind of color theory, first with uh, split complements and then looking at color triads and then tetrads. It was really exciting to kind of focus on a development of, of color and specifically using it in gradient. As a painter, when you're working in a certain vein, you're just kind of keyed into those kind of relationships. So I would start to see gradients in my day-to-day experience, and the sunrise and the sunset became very special times of day for me because I would be like paying attention to the gradient that was in the sky and the different colors that were changing around me. One of the shoots that we did up in Yellowknife was on the edge of another frozen lake covered in snow. And we set the time to be right at sunset, and we wanted a view that was specifically looking uh, northwest so that it would catch the, the arc of the sun as it went behind the horizon. And then all the colors changed. And with the snow, like getting all that color reflected in the snow as well. So that was super exciting to translate a painted experience, like using spray paint and creating gradients and color relationships from the color wheel to uh being on location and picking a specific time of day and focusing on like a change of color over time uh that was super rewarding and uh it just felt fantastic to be out on the ice with the the film crew uh at that kind of special time of day
0: (laughs) to be honest i know that both joe and i loved the dog sled ride It was definitely a highlight, and so was listening to the sound of the boards ripping down the plywood on the frozen ice road. Not something I imagined experiencing with my own attachment to board culture. The board scene was not explicit. It is a counter cultural movement of frustrated youth, but it was predominantly male, leftist, and working class. For me, there was something about the injustices in the world linked to land rights, racism, sexism, language, environmental concerns, and capitalism. Indigenous culture is in a constant state of flux, boring from traditional knowledge to then transform itself into new and changing forms of expression, of culture, as Joe and Riel explain through their connection to skateboarding.
2: Yeah, for me, it was like, all the older guys were doing it all around me. And I like couldn't even afford a skateboard and I'd call myself a skateboarder. I'd like identify as a skateboarder. <laughs> it was like what all all the trouble kids would do, you know? And I was just like, in the 80s, it just looked so badass. You know <laughs> I was just like, I wanna be one of I'm like, I'm a skateboarder, but I didn't even have a board, you know? So it wasn't until I like found one at like a garage sale or whatever. And even then, it was like a Toys R Us kind of looking board, you know? And I couldn't even stand on it. I was knee boarding everywhere. <laughs> and so, yeah, I remember like knee boarding to town and Everyone else could stand up and skate, and I was like kneeboarding, and I ended up getting picked up from like one of my mom's friends, and they were like, "Yeah, we he like brought me back to my reserve." I was, like Marilyn, we found your son kneeboarding the town again, you know whatever, you know. And So those are probably like my earliest memories. I was trying to keep up with the older dudes who were pushing the town to go skate. Well, when I was like eleven or twelve, like we had a bingo hall on my reserve, and we. It was the only like asphalt, the only like <laughs> concrete, and so they hired security to just for us to come and bust us. And uh, eventually, I was just like, "Mom, like it was like my late uncle, late Johnny Johnson, that he yeah, has like Johnson Security, he would, like show up and would fully we would just like get chased. It was like the thing to do. But eventually, she was just like, "Yeah, here's like start a petition." And I'm like, okay, so I just, like, I'm, like, signing my own names and, like, Tony Hawk and, like, whatever, Bart <laughs> Simpson, all this stuff. And, like, we put it at, like, the corner store and, like, the Bingo Hall, the Hockey Arena, everywhere, you know, the Memorial Center and all that. And eventually, I was, like, a little political activist and I didn't even know what, or what I was doing. <laughs> so, what? I eventually ended up getting, like, 660-some-odd like, names and was just, like, all right, we, we want a skate park. And so... There was this like foundation little patch of concrete that was in the back of a memorial center that used to be an old auto body. And we pretty much just, yeah, these guys from Edmonton came down. And back then when I was so young that they just built like a 30 foot wide, 10 foot high vert ramp and a six foot wide half pipe with a four footer. And we had three half pipes. And so that was like my foundation right there. You know what I mean? And so. I still skate with these guys to this day. They're like, they've all got kids who skate. And like, it's crazy. And so they pretty much like instilled in me what I thought. I thought I knew my stuff, you know, and whatever. And they were just like sponsored. You know, these guys were like next level. Yeah, pretty much seeing them come to my town, to come to my reserve and just like blow my mind on what it was that they were able to do. And it was like, campus okay, skateboarder, you know, this is what I'm gonna do. And like, I started learning. And before you knew it, I was like all the other kids on the reserve were getting so good at it; they were getting better than I was. You know what I mean? Just because yeah. of these ramps that were there and having that foundation, I was like making sure that they get re-sheeted every year because there was no there was no roof over them or anything. It wasn't until like I went to residential school that those ramps very much ended up just getting torched because I wasn't there to like take care of them. Yeah, I was like the caretaker, yeah. and so. Yeah, those are my earliest memories. Is just being a little skate rat at the. <laughs> 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 I could see the ramps from my reserve, like from my house. So anytime like a busload of people would show up, and be like, I would like get your runners on, get my on. my gear on, and I would just be there. Yeah, it's like how I met like some of like some of the pros that came out of Alberta. They ended up they're like, oh yeah, I remember going to your reserve. People as far as left bridge were like, no, your ramps are over, you know, blah blah. And I was just like, you came to my is what? It was just so funny that like we were just known to have these big giant ramps and people came from far and wide.
0: And what about you, Riel? Like you talked a little bit about looking up or seeing that
3: opportunity. How old are you, Julian? Forty five. Forty-five. 45. Okay. So hmm, I hope I say this because I didn't I started skateboarding when I was like five or six apparently. Okay. And uh I was really defiant when I was growing up. I didn't like being grounded. I didn't like rules, I didn't like sports. <laughs> I, and I grew up pretty poor too, so I didn't have a skateboard. I didn't know what skateboarding was, but I ran away from my parents one day in the uh, next neighborhood in Fort Smith called Co-op. Walked up this hill and I, I looked down the hill and I, I saw all these old school kickers and ramps and quarter pipes. And a bunch of guys were standing around them hanging out. But it turns out they were all hungover. Too over to skateboard. So this little kid comes down the hill and I'm like, hey, can I try it? What is this? Can I try it out? And they just, whenever they were on a skateboarding, they just gave them their board and I piss around. Eventually I to Ollie. So every day I'd go back and hang out with these guys while well, they weren't using their boards, they let like, me use their boards. And eventually they gave me one. But then my mom made me give it back. So she's like, you gotta pay for it. <laughs> so that really sucked. Yeah, when I was growing up, I think it was like, 15, 14 when I first saw you? On a Transworld magazine, I think it was? Or Canine Canadian, what was that called again? Canadian Skateboarding magazine. SBC. SBC, that's what it was. That's the time I saw a picture of. I was like, what, there's a prone aboriginals like, out there? I'm like, I could do this, I want to like, go that way. I know, I just kept
0: my Oh my God, as a parent and as a rider, part of me is so impressed by your mom and both of your defiance and tenacity to become skateboarders. There is no coincidence that Joe founded Nation Skate Youth with Dustin and Tristan Henry and the glue that holds down the fort and is leading the way for Indigenous female riders, Rosie Archie. It is exciting as a parent of two girls who are aspiring skaters to have models like Rosie to look up to and see themselves reflected.
4: Hello, my name is Rosie Archie. I'm from Canam Lake Band, known as uh, the people of Broken Rock in the interior of BC. I'm a founder for Nation Skate Youth, a founder for Stop, Drop and Roll and a proud to woman I started skateboarding back in the early 90s with my sister um, we would hitchhike to different towns close to our reserve and I have been loving it and it's my passion I love the movement with what's going on with indigenous on the rise and companies closing lines skateboard shops skateboard brands that are all indigenous owned and operated when I started skateboarding there wasn't a lot of indigenous, indigenous people skating so I remember the first time I seen Joe Buffalo it was a treat I've never seen anyone skate with so much power so much grace and just always had a smile on his face and that's how I remembered him uh, when I first met him in the early 2000s at a skateboard contest out in Toronto with Nation Skate Youth. Joe was the first person that I called when I wanted to have people come on board with a project that I was invited to talk at a community. When I met Joe in the early 2000s, he was just an inspiration from then on when Nation Skate Youth started in my living room at the end of 2019. I called uh, Joe Buffalo, Dustin Henry, Tristan Henry, Adam George, and we just threw around ideas about how we can inspire and empower Indigenous youth through skateboarding, and the ideas were just coming along, and we quickly realized that we would be the first organization that would travel to Indigenous communities, and it made a big difference. So since we started Nation, we've been to over 30 communities. We've given out over 700 skateboards. We've been able to meet so many youth on our journey and to spread the message, to be proud of who you are, to be proud of where you come from, and to talk about the mental health and our well-being of Being balanced by saying that, though, you know, we learn a lot from you. We learn a lot from the communities that we go and visit. And it's an amazing opportunity to do these trips with Joe because his story is so inspiring to any skateboarder, not only Indigenous folks. He's a legend in my eyes. Just hearing him speak the truth about everything is what I really needed on my path. So, doing nation skate use with him has been nothing but amazing. It was overwhelming. I was still excited. I was in awe that Michael asked me to ride for colonialism. Getting aboard with my ribbon skirt on there is just something that I, I'm really passionate about as well as educating people on our culture, on our traditions, and... Learning the culture and traditions as I go, which is me talking to elders, asking questions, reading books, listening when people are talking. And I'm a big fan of colonialism because of the education part that they do with every current event that's going on. The past, present, and future. um, How to set up Indigenous folks with success. How to create allies through social media it's amazing when you start listening and reading on what they're doing because a lot of it a lot of people don't know because it's not taught in our education system here in so-called Canada so to be a part of that team and be able to continue on educating everyone through social media through skateboarding is I found my place and I'm really happy to be a part of that family I feel like when we look at the next generation and we're able to inspire them early on in, in their path to know that skateboarding is an individual sport. There's no right or wrong. There's no one telling you what to do. You learn perseverance. You know, you fall down, you get up, you do it again. For youth to be able to hear someone tell them to not be ashamed of who they are and where they come from, because of the colonial ways that we've been taught and to break down those barriers for them i think that you know a big reason why nation skate youth is successful is because we are impacting our youth in real time and being able to give them our time is very valuable and for them to give us their time just the same so having youth have confidence and be able to do drop in and do tricks on the first day of them skateboarding is something that I have never had in my life I think that's just truly amazing it can happen early on in theirs and if they stick with it or not at least we know we've given them the opportunity oh yeah you know One of the messages we're telling the youth is to take advantage of the time they have with their elders, to ask those questions, to learn their language, to learn their traditions, their culture. And then you go to communities and they're already doing that. And they're already speaking their language. And they're already going hunting and fishing and, and carrying on those traditions. So it's just nice that, you know, we get to talk about it, but we also get to see it. I think for all the youth out there that, you know, are trying to find their path with something in life is go sit down with your elder. Go sit down with your grandparents. if you have them? Aunties and uncles and learn something, something new. But that's that's me. I would just love the youth to have the opportunity to do things that they normally wouldn't try, like skateboarding. So everyone who's donated to Nation Skate Youth, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts because you're making an impact with us and following our journey. I thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Rosie and the whole crew at Nations is an inspiration. The work they're doing is incredible. Just as elder and language keeper Zippy has done for Anuktitut and Nunatsiavut, she has been a force by making space for new generations to empower each of them with the pride of their language.
5: My name is Zippinokatuk. I'm originally from Nain, Labrador, Nain Nunatsiavut, Nunatsiavut region. I was raised by my Anansiak, Anansiak, Aida and Ida Inoikyakta. I am now living in Ottawa, Ontario. Inuktitut language is very important It's our identity uh, as Inuit people. Inuktitut was passed down to us by our ancestors, and there's more and more of our elders that is passing away, and our language, I think it is in crisis, but nice to know, nice to hear. Younger people are wanting to learn how to speak Inuktitut, and it's very important for our people to keep our language because it's our identity. Being raised by my gran- my parents, my grandparents, Inuktitut wasn't spoken at, spoken at home, especially in my grandparents' home at that second house. I don't think I ever heard them say one word English. English wasn't spoken in our home. Also, my aunt, my grandmother Harriet Nukutuk, they're originally from Hebron. I've never heard her speak in uh, English. I've only spoken, they only spoken to me in Inuktitut. I've only spoken back to them in Inuktitut. And I think I started learning English when I went to school in kindergarten. What really pushed me was when I first moved to Happy Valley goose Bay in the early 80s, I raised my daughters there. It was a little bit challenging of being away from home and there was quite a bit of racism and prejudice when we were living there. My kids uh, were called names and in school. And people were there were very supportive. Like if we wanted to speak in Inuktitut, I didn't speak in Inuktitut in Goose Bay to my kids, mainly because of that. And when I had my youngest daughter, I decided I don't want to speak English to her. I just want to speak Inuktitut to her, and I wanted English to be her second language. So in order to succeed, I had to speak in Inuktitut only at home, and her father, who is not is non-Inuk, I taught him how to speak Inuktitut, and he was working. We had to only speak Inuktitut at our home in Goose Bay in order for my youngest daughter to be fluent and we labeled everything in our house, right down to the spoon in in Inuktitut. So she only heard Inuktitut, then she started speaking in Inuktitut only. And when we brought her to the mother goose daycare, she she didn't like it there because she couldn't speak English. She didn't understand what they were saying to her and she didn't want to go back. So it became very successful, but um, I did it because I was sorry that I didn't teach my older daughters, but I fully encourage Inuit who want to learn how to speak in you know, order to to start at home, start labeling everything: the door, your room in your house in um windows, igala, table, It's about the chairs, everything. If you label everything and continue to use it, it will work. The dictionary you're talking about is a Nunat Selbuk region dialect. This was created by my youngest daughter, a father, and I. So we created this dictionary, virtual Labrador Museum, and with some help from other people, other Inuit people, and uh, a few of our elders, and we wanted, I wanted to make sure that we had a dictionary in our dialect while we still have a chance to really remember all the Inuit words that some are not being used today. So the dictionary, we decided to make an Inuktitut dictionary at home. This wasn't funded by anyone. It was just created from what we know and from what Inuit words were used by the elders. And we had a few Inuit elders proofread it to make sure we were correct. And it's good to know the young people that are smart and are using the dictionary because that was, that's why it was created to keep our language alive. I think it's very important. It's very good to hear that younger generation are using the dictionary and I'm very happy to hear that and, and I'm willing to help support you know, youth or younger people If they want to start using dictionary, I can help pronounce them and what their meaning is or to make them into sentences. My inspiration on help making that dictionary was to keep our language alive. I'm very proud of who I am. I'm very proud of where I come from. I'm very proud of my language, it's my identity. And to share that, to help our beneficiaries, Inuit wanting to learn Inuktitut, it inspires me when our beneficiaries, our Inuit people want to use the dictionary and start learning how to speak Inuktitut and by doing that our language has a chance to survive.
0: Thriving in language and culture is embedded in Zippy's passion projects. And similarly, Nation Gate Youth is where Joe describes how they started and what was the driving force behind his community work and love for skateboarding.
2: Because I'm from Alberta, I ended up like putting together like eight, reserves that, you know, for me growing up playing hockey, minor hockey, like when you go to provincials and you see this like, <laughs> it's like the dream team, you know what I mean? It's like, when you see all these reserves, you're like, oh, Morley, you're like, or Siksika, you know, you knew, because they were such athletes. That like, just being able to put all these reserves all on one list, on a poster, just felt so good. Plus like, knowing the majority of the people, and like, once a couple of reserves jumped on, like my own, Musco cheese and sotina and Enoch, once I approached other reserves, I knew the people from those communities. So we like basically rented a van and had a, like a 15 foot trailer and we, we basically just stuffed it full of all our products and all of our boards. And we just went there and blessed all the kids. And so that was fully just like renegade. We <laughs> broke so many laws. We weren't supposed to even travel the province over. We weren't even, we were like, just doing it like super renegade and so like our sponsors who had given us donations well they caught wind and saw the work we had done and not only that but we filmed and documented the whole thing and so once we yeah once we were able to show the work and what we had done and we were able to just ask for whatever we wanted you know what I mean it made our it made our work like Worth, it's like it was. In, it was incredible to be able to just just to be able to bless all the kids. And so now, now we're like working direct with Vans shoes, okay. Vans USA. And now we're working directly with Deluxe Distribution, which is like my favorite gear to ride. So you know, for me growing up, it was like, oh, what's your first board? It was like an Alva, you know what I mean, <laughs> which was like a board from the '70s or you know '80s. And so now the kids are getting, they're getting like Antihero and deluxe boards, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so that's like the top of the, that's the very best gear you can get. So they
0: weren't stealing them from the guys uh, down at the, at the park there? <laughs> or were were hand-me-down <laughs> No, those downs. are like
2: all brand new. And so, I mean, it's just awesome that to be able to, just to be able to share that with the kids. You know what I mean? We figured because of PANDEC was, uh, you know, all the kids were cooped up. Yeah. That we figured they deserved it, you know? And something like that isn't like, you know, a nonprofit is like a colonial construct anyway. So it's like, there's so many rules and laws and we're like skateboarders. We're just like off the seat of our pants kind of thing. So really it it taught us how to like navigate through all the legalities that we normally were just like, yeah, we're like, you know what I mean? We're like wild about everything. And so, yeah, we eventually just started like, um, we like secured ourselves as like an actual nonprofit as its own entity. And, and so now, you know, we're, now that we're like, we're not, a, because we're not about money, you know what I mean? We never were. And so that very much keeps us grassroots and yeah, very much like on our own, we make the rules, you know? And so to be able to like bless the kids and, you know, teach them the foundation of skateboarding, like just the fundamentals, you know, This is something I never, I never had, you know, growing up, like all the people that I looked up to were really harsh towards me and like, treated me very badly. And so these are people I looked up to, you know? And so it was just like, so weird that like, yeah, I mean, it's not weird. It's just like a special time right now to be able to give back you know, so that, that way the kids don't have to like trial and error the way we did you know we try to get to them before the bad guys do you know and so that way you know we're able to share them the many avenues the positive avenues that skateboarding can provide like if you're not the best at skateboarding well then you know you can make the videos or you can make the clothing or make, <laughs> you can yeah. build the ramps you know what I mean there's so many positive avenues to go down and so yeah we like to get the kids involved and you know we'll give them the cameras and the you know, have them the taking gear. photos and filming and everything just so they can get the credit to feel like they're involved. So yeah, it's awesome because now they're able to, like now now my DMs are blown up with kids who from 2020 are now doing three flips and That's making not. edits and <laughs> kick ripping downstairs. And I'm just like, yes, this is like really why we're doing it, you know? It's, awesome. it's it's
3: cool seeing Joe Buffalo get back to the community, not just burning out and not fading away. Like, like yeah. you just said, like yeah. you get older or you like you can't skateboard anymore, so you just start helping other people learn camera work, like you just said. So it's, yeah. it's cool seeing him like not disappearing. Yeah, still part of the scene and like motivating kids to do more than what they should be doing or but. They thought they can. Yeah.
0: Well, I saw him ride pretty good yesterday, so let's talk about yesterday. <laughs> Did you guys imagine that you were gonna be skateboarding on uh, an ice road or uh, around a dog sled team?
2: <laughs> no, that was. <laughs> well, that was definitely a first. Yeah.
3: Uh, not mine. Not yours. <laughs> <laughs> We've done stuff like this before, but not to that extent. Like I grew up making my spots, the plywood runways, plywood landings. So like, yes, I didn't know what to expect, but kind of knew. Like I haven't skated in a year and seen him just kill it. It was pretty
2: cool. Yeah, I mean, the the way the system's designed, you know what I mean? They we're, were designed to fail, you know, that's how it's been rigged. And so, you know, having to like... All these scars and all these battle wounds you see is because of the system, you know? And so, I just want to be remembered as the one who went out swinging, you know? Despite all the... everything that was against me, you know? Yeah, that's another reason why I'm doing all this work is because Kids need, like, I want to be a beacon to all the kids that, you know, if I can crawl out of a cave and say that, you know, I'm still here and I'm still scrapping, you know. <laughs> I'm still 45 years old doing the stuff I was doing when I was 25 years old. And, you know, there's hope out there, you know. It's like to pass that message on. It's a great message.
0: Do you want to talk at all about the boards as we wrap up? Or? Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have this one here that I gave to Rial. <laughs> this one here was at an actual like uh, piece of ID that I had. Like, they gave us ID cards when I went to residential school. And this one was from the Brett, which is in the Coppell Valley at the Coppell Indian Residential School. And I was dating a girl back in grade 8 who I gave her my piece of ID. And it was like, we exchanged ID. And I was like, I'll see you next year kind of thing, you know, pure popular. <laughs> and so I didn't know... She didn't return the next year, and I just thought selfish maybe She may have, you know, she just didn't want to come back or whatever. She she may have gotten apprehended from the system. Who knows? But I remember just going on with life, and Facebook had just come out, and I was, like, such a wreck that like deep into my addictions and alcoholism that everybody around me was applying for, like, residential school settlement and this and that, and I tried to, and because I had gone for five years, so I was like, oh yeah, I'm like, so I went, you know, like blah, 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 and they were like, yeah, there's no record, like they've they've been, the records have been destroyed mysteriously. Well, that's just another layer of just, I'm just gonna hate everything else even more now. And so I pretty much, had like, so I remember getting Facebook and all of a sudden, a girl that I had dated, the one whom I had dated back then, found me on Facebook and was like, yeah, did you find, you know, did you apply for your settlement yet? And I was just like, ah, like, whatever, like, no, I was just fully on some hate mood. And she was just like, oh, well, check this out. And she took a photo of this piece of ID Whoa. that she had kept 20 years later. <laughs> and I was just like, I had goosebumps. Like, straight up, just like, what? I thought you broke my heart. I was just like <laughs> I'm so nervous. I'm just like whatever. And so she was just like, Yeah, no. She's like, What's your address? And I will like, mail it to you. And I was just like, No way. And so th- not only did this grant me like the five years of school, like and the settlement or whatever, but it also like allowed for closure for myself, you know? And I knowing that I did crawl out of this place and, you know, not a lot of people. Who I went with are still like alive you know and like and again how the system is rigged this is they were designed There was a form of genocide you know just like the whiskey trade and killing off the buffalo you know it was the same the government enforced this on everybody and so this is like a big deal for me because the the, bo- the company colonialism skateboards very much tells the stories of of the ones I lived you know and so to be able to get a board given to me with a story as powerful as this, you know what I mean, it just feels pretty rad. Wow. And yeah, I've been uh, a part of colonialism since like 2016. They actually gave me my first board, which I made it on a tribute to my great-grandfather, like great, 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 like five, six generations ago, chief palm maker. And yeah, the government basically you know, how they revised the history books and they, you know what I mean? They changed the history. They, he was like a bad guy, you know? They labeled him as a horse thief and just a troublemaker and this and that, when really he was a man of peace. And so to be able to like, to be able to honor him on a board in mean my very first pro model, I've been talking about this since I was eight years old. So this is like, I can't even put it into words, you know?
0: Bringing this indigenous relationship to this counterculture and rewriting the colonial narratives through skateboarding is kind of badass. There is a whole history of indigenous leaders like Joe's great-great-grandfather who have been pushing up against the system. My hope is that art can radically shift public space to spark up dialogues about culture and knowledge. I am super jacked to have Mark's massive, large-scale sculptural skate plaza on Young and Dundas Square. Which is a coveted skating location. I am also relieved that the inspiration is a fish weir that so strongly connects to the meaning behind Toronto, which can be translated to logs on the water, which was a method of catching fish.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited for the skateboard plaza that we're installing uh, based on my design of a fish weir. Uh, fish weir is a indigenous way of capturing fish by creating a corral and for the Inuit it would be like a corral made up of different rocks that would be placed in the shallow river and it would be at different times of the year specifically when the fish were like running in the river perhaps to to spawn and the way that The people would use the weir would be to wade in the water and the fish would all be around their ankles and the water would be like freezing cold, these arctic streams and they would spear the fish in these pools that were created to control the movement so for the Young and Dundas Fish Weir Plaza what I've designed is a series of manual pads which is like kind of like a sidewalk like shape for skateboarders to do manual tricks which is when rather than riding on all four wheels you do a trick you land at the two wheels and then you can do another trick out. And these tricks are called like manual combinations. And so I'm really excited to see how skaters are going to interact with the space based on this indigenous design. And I kind of landed on using the weir because I really like the way that there's all these connections to movement. The weir is meant to channel the movement of the fish. It's dependent on the movement of the water. And I like the idea of like this flow of skateboarders and this flow of movement going through the plaza. And one of the elements that I'm really excited to start working with and bring in is augmented reality. And what we're doing is we're designing Arctic char to be animated in augmented reality. And when someone uses their phone, say to capture a skateboarding video clip, they'll see dozens of fish swimming around their ankles just like it would be in an arctic stream but then have like the skateboard trick incorporated in there too like again like another kind of like exciting element of movement and for the audiences in Toronto all showing up with their smartphones they can also recreate this sensation of having like fish like just teeming around your ankles by uh, using augmented reality I'm so excited to develop a, a skateboard plaza for Yonge and Dundas Square. I visited the location, tried to skate, and the security guard told me that, you know, I couldn't skate there. And I've always kind of felt in Toronto that downtown urban spaces are really not welcoming to skateboarders. There's no skateboarding signs everywhere, as well as skate stoppers. And I've been in other cities, like i lived in Vancouver uh, where there's the, say, Terry Fox Plaza and other locations like the Vancouver Art Gallery where skateboarding isn't discouraged and they kind of, like, people can skate among pedestrians. It's not that big of a deal. And I think the, the most kind of pivotal experience that I had was that when we did a research trip uh, to Paris for Nuit Blanche in 2021, and I was able to skate at Republic Square, where it's a large open square and uh, it's full of pedestrians. There's a metro stop there, there's a restaurant, there's a fountain, statues, and then there's also these skatable elements. And they're rather than being off in one corner and fenced off, the pedestrians and skaters are sharing the same space. And it's a really exciting to see that kind of level of movement and that kind of interaction between skateboarders and pedestrians and um, I don't know, that for me like was something magical that I experienced in Paris and also that I always really enjoyed about being in Vancouver. So I really appreciate this opportunity with Nuit Blanche, where we can kind of like bend the rules a bit or change the rules. Whereas, like, Young and Dundas is, has been a square that it's been prohibited to skateboard, and now we're going to make a space specifically for skateboarding. I think it's going to be really exciting for for the skaters, but also for the, the people coming along to Nuit Blanche to see people doing these different skateboarding tricks.
0: Manipulating public space to transform throughout the night is the magic that is Nuit Blanche. Mark's project will draw new audiences and create a much needed shift to be inclusive of all the various bodies and subcultures that are important contributions to our cities. The programming will be super inclusive to make sure all folks will get to grind, shove, pop up off the sculpture. There'll be a polar dip at 6 a.m. for the die that are ready for Nui this year. So I guess I'll leave it there then. Thanks so much for listening. I would love to say Chimegwich, Marcy, and thank you to all the people that make this podcast possible. And tune in again for Nui's Belonging to Place.